0: going back to pandemic days and I remember they they sent us out this music to listen to and we all sang while we listened to the music and um, when I did that I thought what have we done (laughs) but God worked anyway so we're grateful for that and grateful we're able to be in here in person today Um, good to see some of you guys Good, good to see you Alex Elizabeth and and, and others of you will go through everybody. Um, We're starting a new series today in the book of Mark, the first and the shortest of the four gospels. So I I think what I want to do, selected scriptures this morning, but stay in God's honor, I'm just going to read the first verse and then we're going to pray and jump into it. So if you'll stand in God's honor. The beginning of the gospel about Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Let's pray. God, we bow ourselves before you this morning, Lord. We are hungry for you. We are thirsty for you. And we ask that you speak to us, Lord. Um, I think of your word that tells us that blessed are those who always tremble before the word of God. But those with hardness of heart fall into trouble. And uh, Father, may we tremble at your word today. May we hear from you and may we respond. In Christ's name, we pray. Amen. Just because it's the shortest gospel doesn't mean that it doesn't have a lot to say to us as God's word. As a matter of fact, I, I think sometimes we take the Bible for granted. We think, oh, we got it. we're supposed to read the Bible every day or, you know, we read a little devotional or, or read a single verse. But how do we, how do we hear from God? How do we know what God wants to say to us through His Word? I mean, it's something that was written long ago, and and it spoke a long time ago, but does the Bible still speak to us today? And so before I even get into this introduction this morning, I want to just make a couple of points here uh, in regard to what God is saying to us. First, deals with application of his word it's more than just a bunch of facts you know i'll be honest with you man as a preacher i hate bible trivia because i'm supposed to know it and a lot of times i don't know it i mean people come up with the craziest questions you know something like well who was jesus third cousin twice removed who lived in the suburbs of nazareth or something else crazy like What kind of wood was the manger made out of that Jesus was born in? Or how do you pronounce those crazy names in the Bible? There's some crazy names. Why couldn't we have Frank and Jane? But we got some of these hard names. And you know my answer to that is, How do you pronounce that, preacher? And I've always said, hard word, hard word. Because the fact of the is, there is difficulty there. But God, in His Word, wants to speak to us far more than just some bible trivia or just some basic facts i have another confession while i'm at it to make to you guys um i never have been able to learn the books of the bible in order and i was really grateful when they came out with the alphabetical order like on the bible app and stuff to find these books in the bible because i've always had trouble nailing down those books in Chronological order is there, or, or not chronological order, Bible order in the table of contents. So that's really helped me out. But the scripture is very powerful and speaks to us very clearly. Psalm 119 verse 30 tells us the unfolding of his word gives light. It gives understanding to the simple. Guys, we need understanding in this day and time. We need God's Word to be unfolded. We need His Spirit to speak to us clearly. It tells us in 2 Timothy 3, 16, 17, that all Scripture is God-breathed or God-inspired. It's useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. And the next verse says why. So that you may be equipped for every good work. You see, God's Word is to put us into action to serve Him, to follow Him, to be conformed into the image of His one and His only Son. So I'm going to look at some principles here real quick. Not only is the application of His Word not just Bible facts, it is a focus on the truth of God's Word. I know there's experts in every field to tell us how we're to behave and how we're to act and how to live our lives and where we find answers But the truth of the matter is, God calls us to walk with Him. And that we are to gain our understanding of Him in that walk, empowered by the Holy Spirit, as we seriously get into His Word. And let Him seriously speak to us. And He will. I love Hebrews 4.12. It says, the Word of God is living and active. Guys, it's not just some dead book. The Word of God is living and active. It didn't just speak years ago. It speaks today. It speaks to each of us. And I love the next part. It says, sharper than any double-edged sword. It divides joints and marrow, um, spirit, body. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. I loved how one commentator put it. He says, it's not like this long sword that you swashbuckle with, you know. But it's more like a dagger. It's got you by the neck here. You can't move. God's word gets a hold of you and convicts you. And God speaks to you. And he says, you can't keep doing that. Or you've got to start doing that. The truth of his word. Next, not only is there the truth of his word, but it is the fact of the biblical truth of God becoming personal truth to us. The Bible is not something that just speaks to those around us. God wants to get our attention. He wants to move us in His direction. That's what He does. And that personal truth must become a practical truth. You see, you don't just read the Bible so you can find out stuff you know that happened way back then. As we read the Bible, God begins to show us how to follow Him in a practical way, each and every day. That is the way that He works in us. Psalm one nineteen verse thirty four. I thought about this verse as I thought about this. He says, the psalmist says, "Give me understanding, man, God. I need understanding." I need you. I need to hunger and thirst for the righteousness that you give, Lord. Give me understanding so that I may keep your law. In other words, Lord, I may do what you say, what you want, and obey it with all my heart. And what are we told is the fulfillment of the law? It is to love one another. That's the fulfillment of the law to love God and to love others that are around us. And so it is God's truth. God's truth must become personal truth and it becomes a practical truth to us. I want to look at some barriers to genuine application of Scripture. These come from Stephen Davies' teaching. Davies says that the first barrier you're going to face are differences of opinion. I think of my wife. uh, Years ago, she seriously studied the book of Revelation, she picked three biblical teachers that she really enjoys who'd written books on Revelation, and all three of them came from the book of Revelation at different angles. And so, you know, you could say, well, somebody's not listening to God. <laughs> or you could simply say, you know, he speaks in different ways to us, and we don't need to get in a big fight, but we need to stay together and follow Christ. You know, you got those pre you know, the... Or pre-trib to those who say, Jesus, Jesus is is coming back and he's going to take us out of here before that big judgment. And then you got the mid-trib that says you gotta suffer about half of it and then he's gonna take you out. And then you got the post-trib that says you gotta suffer through all of it, and then then you're, then it's done. And then you got the pan-trib that says it'll all pan out in the end. And the truth of the matter is <laughs> we're called to watch and pray. That is what we definitely know as we follow Him. I I thought of the scriptures in 1 John 3, 1 and 2. I love it. He says, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. I love that phrase. In fact, what we are, we are children of God. It says the world does not know us because it did not know Him. They don't understand you who follow Jesus because they don't understand Jesus. Uh, The scripture says that they're blind, that they can't see, that they don't have that understanding in Christ. He goes on the next verse, he says, Now that we are children of God, what we will be has not yet been made known. But when Christ appears... We shall see him as he is. Guys, we shall see him as he is. We'll be like him. What a blessing. And then he tells us in 1 Corinthians thirteen twelve. Now we see but a poor reflection is in a mirror. Then we'll see face to face. Now I know in part, then I know fully, even as I am fully known. There will be that day where we will see him. But verse 3 tells us, Everyone who has this hope in him, purifies himself as he is pure. In other words, God, I will see you and one day I will be pure. One day I will no longer be one who's walking away from you, who disobeys you. One day I'll be perfectly holy, but because I have this hope, help me now to walk with you as close as possible so that this is not some great change, but it's more like a natural step when I die and pass to the other side. Secondly, the barrier to application will face is pressures of our culture. It tells us in, in Romans 12:1 to offer our bodies as living sacrifices. Verse 2, we are told this, Do not be conformed any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to test and prove what God's will is, His good, pleasing, and perfect will. In other words, do not let the pattern of this world, the ways of this world, the teaching of this culture Be your guide. In other words, be transformed as your thinking is changed through the Holy Scriptures as God begins to transform your mind. Here's a quote I got from one commentator. He said, uh, the Bible is not intended to be influenced by our culture. The Bible is intended by God to produce a culture. I like that. To produce a culture. As we love Jesus, as we love one another, as we seek Him and walk close to Him, and we serve Him, we produce a culture. We see that Jesus is real, and others see that Christ is real in us. The third barrier to genuine application is our prejudice about biblical truth. (laughs) That's the individual who says, well, I've done it that way, I've done it for 35 years, and I'm not about to change now, don't bother me with the facts. You know, for many of us, God is merely a coach that gives us tips on how to play the game of life. But he's more than that, guys. For other of us, he's a therapist who calms our fears and gives us action steps to overcome our troubles. But he's more than that. For others, he's a cheerleader. You know, go, Logan, go, Johnny, go, go, go. But guys, he's more than that. I love what Tony Evans had to say. I heard him a message years ago. He said, Jesus did not come to take sides. He came to take over. Man, he wants not only to be a part of our lives, guys, he wants to be our lives. Now, with all that said, now I want to get into this little introduction on the Gospel of Mark. Uh, the first Gospel written somewhere between we believe, between A.D. 60 and A.D. 70, you had a madman who was in charge of the emperor, Nero, blamed Christians for the burning down of Rome. And so they ended up in the Colosseum, ended up lying food and all kinds of suffering that was faced by them. And as you look at this shorter gospel, the question is, God, I need you now. In all of this suffering, I want to hear from you this moment. As a matter of fact, as we look in the scriptures, we see that 12 of the 16 chapters in the original language begin with the word and. And man, it just keeps going. And the most popular word that's repeated over and over again in the chapter is a word that's translated immediately or straight away in matthew this word is only used seven times in luke it is used twice but in mark it is used 42 times it is as if through mark god is saying immediately jesus worked and there was this huge news to say we need to see jesus at work we need to see where God is. We need to see that Jesus still is at work. That he still cares today. That he's still moving among us. And man, we need that, don't we? Now, I want to look at some snapshots here real quick of, of scriptures uh, on John Mark. First, we're in the book of Acts. Acts chapter 12. Verse 25, when Barnabas had finished their mission, they returned from Jerusalem talking with them. John also called Mark. Now, John was a Roman name, Mark, Hebrew name. The idea was that his father was Roman and his mother Jewish. And somewhere there was faith. That impacted this guy. Known as Mark. So in Acts chapter 12. I want you to drop down here to verses 13 and 14. We learn that they were at the house of John Mark. And so we come down to Acts uh, 12. and, And here's. Verse 12, he says, when this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. So here's the situation, if you guys remember. John the Baptist had his head chopped off. And as a result, they imprisoned Peter. And you know, they were getting ready to sharpen the axe and, or the sword and follow suit with Peter. And then there was a miracle where an angel set Peter free. Now, they're at John Mark's house, and they're praying. They've caught word, and they're praying for Peter. God, God, please release Peter. God, we need Peter. Peter is your man. God, move among us. God, do the miracle. God, set him free. God, you're bigger than Rome. You are more powerful. God, please. And I mean, I believe they are in tune. I believe everything they can in all of their power, they are praying For the release of Peter. So come down to verses 13 and 14. Peter knocked (laughs) at the outer entrance. And a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door. When she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed. She ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter is at the door. Now what are they praying? God set Peter free. God do a miracle. So Rhoda comes back and says, Peter's at the door. What do they say? Praise God. God is so awesome. God is so good. No, that's not what they say. You're out of your mind, Rhoda. They told her. When she kept insisting, he really is out at the door. They said, well, it must be his angel. It couldn't be Peter. And you know, I thought about that. And and honestly, it kind of shook me up because I got to thinking, God, I say I believe you. God, I say I want to see you move. But do I? Do I expect you to move? Do I have an anticipation that you want to move? Is there an expectation that you will move? Or as Peter Lord had, had, when they uh, built their church, they had at the foundation, that uh, cornerstone of their church, written these words. What you... Do is what you believe. Everything else is just religious talk. Do we believe? Man, I can relate to John, Mark, and the other disciples. They're praying, God answers the prayer, and they're like, nah, can't be. Oh, God, forgive us. God, forgive us. All right, uh, now i want to turn to chapter 13 in verses 2 through 5 we see that God sets aside Paul and Barnabas, calls them, the church prays over them. And so they take off on their mission. Uh, The verses go on. It tells us about uh, where they go to. And then what I'm interested in is the end of verse 5 of Acts 13. John was with them as their helper. So this guy, John Mark, went with him. What do we know about him? Well, his home was a hangout for the disciples. It was a place uh, that was safe <laughs> and a place to pray, and word, which is good stuff. And so Paul and Barnabas took John along. We don't know, you know what his assignment was, exactly you know, what he did as a missionary, but what we discover is whatever it was, it was hard. And John said, I'm out of here. Forget this. And so uh, look with me at Acts 13, verse 13. It says, From Paphos, Paul and his companions sailed to Perga and Pamphylia, where John left them to return to Jerusalem. That word return, return to Jerusalem, is the word that we get our word apostasy from which means to deny the faith. In other words, he left the mission field. He was broken. He was rebellious. And he just gave up and he left. You know what really hurts me as a pastor? The Christian army is the only army that shoots us wounded. Man, through the years, I have met a lot of people that have been hurt. Not by the, outside the church. Inside the church. John Mark leaves. Now, another text of scripture. 15, 36 through 40. Still moving through Acts. Acts. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, Let us go back and visit the brothers in all the towns where we preach the word of the Lord and see how they're doing. Barnabas wanted to take John, also called Mark, with them. (laughs) But Paul did not think it's wise to take him because he had deserted them in Pamphylia and had not continued with them in the work. They had such a sharp disagreement, they parted company. Barnabas took Mark and sailed for Cyprus, and Paul chose Silas and left, commended by the brothers to the grace of the Lord, he went through Syria and Sicilia strengthening the churches. So, what happened? It was time to go back onto the mission field. Barnabas comes with his cousin John Mark, and he, he says, Well, Paul, we're ready to go. And Paul's like, Are you kidding me? Are you, are you kidding me? Man, when things got hot and things got tough, back, 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 back. But doesn't say that in the original language, okay? But that's kind of my picture of it. He hightailed it out of here. You expect me to go into the trenches of God's work? Barnabas, ministry is messy. And this guy's already high-tailed it out of here instead of being faithful. No way. <laughs> and so there's this split. But God worked in both mission teams as they went separate directions. And the truth of the matter is, we did not hear from John Mark again in the scriptures for 18 years. I don't want that to sink in. a minute. 18 years pass. We don't really know what happened in John Mark's life. We don't know if he just threw up his hands and said... I'll never go around Paul again. I'm sticking with Barnabas. He's cool, you know, not Paul. Forget him. For 18 years there was this struggle. And then we hear the Apostle Paul commenting on John Mark. Turn me to Colossians chapter 4, verse 10. And this was one of the only six, you know, I told you I couldn't memorize the books of the Bible. This is the only one I can memorize general electric power company galatians ephesians philippians colossians are the one that really stuck with me girls eat potato chips galatians ephesians <laughs> philippians colossians colossians 4 verse 10 here i was i looked i was in thessalonians it's like okay i really don't know where the books of the bible are <laughs> okay Verse 14 My fellow prisoner Aristarchus sends you his greetings as does Mark the cousin of Barnabas you have received instructions about him if he comes to you welcome him So what do we have here We have got a reference from the apostle Paul for John Mark Something major has changed in Paul's life Before he was angry eighteen years ago, I'm not no. Now he says I vouch for him. Receive him, welcome him. He's a dear brother in Jesus Christ. Man, what a what a powerful what a powerful change. One another scripture here, Second Timothy chapter four, verse eleven. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my ministry. Paul is chained in a Roman prison and there's only about three people that Paul mentions as being helpful to him while he's in chains in Rome. And one of those was John Mark. Can God use us? Yeah, even after we mess everything up. Yes, yes, He can. Now, uh, one more verse here. I um, want to share. It's 1 Peter five thirteen. So turn with me there. This is uh, we're right at the end of the letter of first Peter she who is in Babylon chosen together with you sends you her greetings and so does my son Mark Peter refers to John Mark as my son you know we often think about Paul and Timothy right I mean Timothy Paul referred to him as my son in the faith Paul, he was the mentor. Timothy was the apprentice. He was learning. Well, there's a picture here that this also occurred with Peter and John Mark. Now, think about this, man. If there's anybody who could understand what it means to screw it all up and find mercy, it's Peter, right? The rooster crows three times. He denies Jesus. And he's broken. And he's weeping. And what happens? God reinstates Peter. And so it's, it's not really a huge surprise that Peter takes this guy under his wing and works with him and loves him. And they serve Jesus together. And history tells us that John Mark becomes the pastor of Alexandria, that God continues to work through John Mark. He's a son as a son to Peter who discipled him. Now, some application uh, here as I close this thing out. Lessons that were learned. First, I believe Peter learned compassion. Remember Peter, he he's the guy who tried to defend Jesus, took out his sword. That probably don't look too cool because I don't have the right swing, but You know, he swings at him. a little more passion than that, too. But he swings at him, and he cuts his ear off. But here's the deal. I, I believe that this guy ducked. He wasn't aiming to cut his ear off. He was aiming to chop his head off and take him out. Forget this compassion stuff. But God did a work in Peter. He became a man of compassion, and he began to reach out to another guy who needed compassion, John Mark. So what did the apostle Paul learn? Number two, uh, he learned forgiveness. Paul's like, no, God worked on him, and Paul finally said, "Okay, Lord, yes." What a powerful lesson! I I think of what uh, Jesus uh, said to us right at the end of the Lord's Prayer. Uh, you know, we always we always quote that first part. You know, but you come down to verse fourteen and fifteen, and He says. If you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you don't forgive men their sins, I won't forgive your sins. God is very serious about forgiveness. It is not an option. Forgive, as you have been forgiven. And through the cross, we've been fully forgiven. And so we're to forgive. And Paul forgave. It took a while, but he forgave. Sometimes it takes us a while. One more. John Mark, um, what he learned. I think his lesson was endurance. You know, I wish the Christian life went like this. You know, man, by now I should be on Everest. You know, I'm so old up there doing this. But it just hadn't worked that way. I think for most of us, it tends to be you know, like this. It's like, man, this is just unlevel territory, you know, in trying to follow God and and, in trying to walk with him. But you know what you got to do? You got to keep going. Just have to endure. You know what? I've told you guys I've got a few stupid things I've done. Well, there's many more, but I mean, but these few stupid things, they're like tapes in my mind. I mean, it's stuff that might have happened 15, 20 years ago. And all of a sudden, the tape will play in my head, you know. And I'll go, you're such a jerk, Todd. I cannot believe that you did that, Todd. And, you know, I'll kind of play that little game. Let me tell you, Jesus is not playing those tapes. Jesus has erased those things. You know? He says, I will remember your sins no more. Does that mean that God can't remember them? No. It means he has chosen not to hold them against you took care of them at the cross he removed them there so if you could sum up in a sentence i believe the application of john mark you know i think it is god gives second chances is there any of you here who need a second chance i do need a second chance god is the god of the second chance God doesn't just throw people away. He says, come to me, and I will give you new life. Follow me, and I will give you another opportunity. I close with a story. Um, If you ever go through O'Hare Airport in Chicago, uh, you'll see a plaque of who the airport was named after, a guy named Butch O'Hare. Who ended up being a fighter pilot in World War II? And he took down five Japanese planes on a mission, and he ended up with a Congressional Medal of Honor. A year later, Butch was shot down, and he died serving our country faithfully as a fighter pilot in 1944. But the story goes back way before that, in the roaring 20s, (laughs) the days of Al Capone. Al Capone's lawyer was a guy known as Fast Eddie O'Hare. Eddie O'Hare was smooth, and he kept Al Capone and his guys out of jail because he always had the proper angle. But something happened in Al's life he goes to the police and he says I have enough evidence to put Al Capone and his gang away for life and of course you know they're like why in the world would you do that we just had a baby and I don't want my son to be remembered as the son of the guy who kept Al Capone out of jail. I want a new start. I want a fresh start. I want my son to have a new legacy. And a few days later, they found Fast Eddie with a bullet through his head and he was dead. But his plan did work. His son would grow up. He would end up In the military, with a Congressional Medal of Honor. Remembered not for a family that worked side by side with Al Capone, but as a fighter pilot who served his country and died faithfully doing so. Jesus gives us second chances, church. I don't care what you've done. I don't care where you've been. The grace of God extends to everyone, no matter how deep the sin, no matter how far we have moved away from God, He comes closer through the work of Calvary, and He forgives. It's the message of the gospel, and it's the message of the gospel of Mark, and it's still true today. Do you need the second chance? Do you need Christ? Have you trusted him? Does he want you to follow him? New today, to put behind you an old way of life and to start a new way. Let's pray. God, uh, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for this message of the gospel of Mark how immediately and, and it, it just continually shows the work of Jesus and what he's up to and what he's doing. And God, we are hungry today to see Jesus move among us. We want to know what you want to do next. And we do not want to be a hindrance, but we want to be part of that. And so, God, I pray this morning that we would be open to the movement of your spirit at an altar to pray, um, to come forward before your people, to share. Um, Father, to make decisions right where we are. The key is to follow you, whatever that may be. And so I pray, Lord, you would certainly have freedom to move in our lives as you choose this morning. And may we say yes to Jesus. In whose name we pray. Amen.